I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today, we talk with Garth Callahan. We learn about how Garth, living with several cancer diagnoses, became the napkin note dad. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. Hey, Garth, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. You consider your most important role in life as being a father to your daughter, Emma, but something came far before you wrote this book. So talk to me a little bit about how did everything change after you knew you had cancer and your diagnosis? Sure. So, you know, what's really interesting is that over the course of the last five years, I've actually been diagnosed with cancer, not once or twice or even three times, but a grand total of four times. I currently live with both metastatic kidney cancer and prostate cancer. That time of kind of always going into doctor's offices and getting told, hey, Mr. Callahan, you have cancer, that was an ongoing process. It started actually just about five years ago and continued on over the course of the next two and a half years. As anybody can imagine, whenever you receive a diagnosis like this, it hits you like a ton of bricks. You don't really know what you're doing. And in our case, my initial scans came back cloudy. So my doctors weren't sure if the cancer had spread or not. My doctor looked at me and said, Mr. Callahan, you need to understand that if this cancer has spread, the mortality rate is incredibly high. Were you in just shock of, of what was going on? I don't know what I would do in that situation. What made that whole situation worse was that I thought that I had a bladder infection. We kind of just had it in our heads that this couldn't be something that serious. So when I went in to get that first report, I was by myself. The urologist office is about 25 minutes away from my home. I knew that Lisa was out doing something with my daughter, Emma. I had to drive home by myself and kind of try to process this. And, and, and I'll be honest, the doctor said, Mr. Callahan, I think this is cancer. We sat there for a good half an hour, and I don't remember a single word he said. After he said cancer, you're like, don't recall in the conversation moving forward. Yeah, and in fact, it's not that I don't recall. My body shut down. I couldn't see well. I wasn't hearing well. It was as if I had just been standing next to fireworks that were too loud because I, I just, I, I was fuzzy and not really comprehending things well. And then... I got home, was waiting for my wife Lisa to show up, and she called me. And all I could think of is, I can't tell her this over the phone. She's probably driving with Emma in the car. This isn't a good discussion to have on a phone like that. You know, she eventually coaxed it out of me. She could tell something was wrong. So for a, a couple of weeks, we weren't sure how serious it really was. And, and we knew it was serious, but we weren't sure the, the gravity of that. We kind of plodded along for a few weeks, went to multiple appointments, multiple scans. I was poked and prodded in every sense of the word. And then we quickly scheduled a surgery. The doctors took out uh, a grapefruit-sized tumor and my kidney. What was interesting after that is that they said, look, you know, it looks like we have negative margins, which means we got all of the cancer. There's no real treatment. 
go home and have a good life. I thought, okay, I feel like crap. I mean, my body has been through the ringer. And then emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, everything just came crashing down on me at that point. There was this time where I was the strong dad and the strong husband outwardly. And I didn't let anybody think that cancer, you know, having cancer bothered me. But inwardly, all I could think of is, I know the statistics, they're not good. I'm going to die. And you were really worried about your daughter. I almost feel like my wife, Lisa, would be able to pick up and move on, right? I mean, she's five years older than I am. She's infinitely more mature. And I thought, you know, yeah, it would be tough for her. She would obviously have to go through the the grief process, but she could, in fact, move on in her life. And I looked at my daughter, who was 12 at the time, and I thought, you know, this kid really doesn't deserve to grow up without a dad, especially considering that up until that moment in time, everything that we did around Emma was geared towards raising this strong, confident young woman so that when she finally did get to adulthood, she could make a huge difference in the world and be a great person and all of those things that go along with that. And all of a sudden, I was you know, potentially not part of that equation. And it was very difficult and challenging for me. All along, you were trying to be a part of your daughter's life, even before the cancer diagnosis, by writing her little notes in her lunches. So talk to me about how did that occur? Sure. So in the beginning, I wasn't very consistent. I was making lunches. And that came about because I had the unfortunate circumstance of of eating lunch at school with Emma. And we bought lunch that day. I remember it like it was yesterday. It's 12 years ago and it's still burned in my brain. Chicken patty on a bun. And it was not delicious. And I thought, you know, I can do better than this. So as a family, we decided we're going to make Emma's lunch at least four days a week. She can choose to buy one day a week, but we really want to to see if we can do better. And so I really wanted to make her lunch special. And every once in a while, I would put in a napkin note. A couple of years into Emma's school time, my wife Lisa started working part-time at Emma's school. So they were both headed off to school at the same time, and I became the primary lunch maker. And that's when I really started to be consistent with notes. Still not necessarily every day, but more often than not. And then one morning, I had just finished making Emma's lunch, and I hadn't yet written a note. It it depended on my mornings. You know, I'd, I'd be up 5.30 in the morning, barely awake, sipping on coffee. Well, she came downstairs, grabbed her lunch bag, and recognized that there was not a note in the lunch bag yet. She stomped over to me. And held that bag up in front of me and just said, napkin note. Oh, wow. That is when I recognized that this was something special. It was something important. And if she was paying attention to it, then as a dad, I better use that as something that that is good and positive for the family. I think that's amazing. And it sounds like it is a true collaboration between you and Emma. She sort of started this. That's amazing. And the notes have evolved based on her feedback, right? So it's almost like this cycle that, you know, I'll write a note, she'll say that it was great or not. And the notes continue to evolve. And Emma is very artistic. And so I try to come up with wordplay on the napkins that might involve colors or shapes or sizes. And so they just continue to evolve 
based on her feedback. And therefore, she's always looking for that next note. I'll tell you, if you have a response from a child like that about anything you do, you need to do it more. Well, I definitely would agree with you. So you're writing these notes, Emma's paying attention, and then cancer happens. And suddenly these notes are meaning something far beyond what you ever thought they would be. And you were afraid that you were were not going to see her graduate high school. Yeah. So um, right after my third cancer diagnosis, my doctor started to look at me differently. They started to talk in a, in a little bit softer of a tone. They tilt their head a little bit. How you doing? And they also started to use words and phrases like the average mortality rate. It was clear that I was in a different danger situation. And I'm a math guy. I love math and science and lightsabers and, and Star Trek and whatnot. And, and I read a lot. And I can analyze with the best of them. And the more I took a look at my disease, the less I, the less I thought that this was going to be something I could get out of. And so I kind of went back to that same situation in my original diagnosis, freaking out about death. I was actually on a flight to Orlando, was reading the in-flight magazine, thankfully in a row by myself. And I was reading this article about um, this awesome dude named Alex Sheen. And he started this social movement called Because I Said I Would. The whole organization's premise is based on helping people to fulfill promises. I wish I could recall how my brain leapt from point to point to point, but I, I kind of ended that article in tears thinking, I've made this promise to Emma that I'll always make her lunch and that she'll always have a note in her lunch. And I'm not going to be able to make that promise come true because I'm going to be dead. As I exited the plane, I sent Alex an email thanking him for the article and letting him know that I was going to promise to write a napkin note for Emma for every day between then and, and the end of her high school time. So I sat down and wrote and wrote and wrote. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm a little speechless. I have your book and um, I've, I've leafed through it and I'm reading it. And some of the, the notes that you wrote to Emma have uh, affected even me. I love this. Dear Emma, you can't still second and still keep your foot on first base. Love, Dad. I remember that note. Man, I, I, I will say this. I had a big decision lately, and I ended up going to your Facebook page, and I, I can't recall the note you sent to Emma that day, it was something about change and fear. And, you know, when you have a big change, um, you always think of what you will lose and not what you will gain. You changed my life by that note, because I was looking for some kind of sign to say, help me make this huge leap of faith in my life. And that note popped up. And I made a huge life decision because of that. And uh, it, it was just amazing how, how that happened. First of all, thank you. And thank Emma for those words. I, I just can only imagine the gift um, the two of you guys share in the collaboration. Another one that really spoke to me was, Dear Emma, make your life story worth telling. Love, Dad. 
I love that. I mean, how 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 many parents say that to a child in a lunch and they're sitting there? I mean, I really need to get up to uh, Richmond because I need to meet this kid. She must be amazing. And I, I tell you, it's because of you and these notes. And now you're affecting people like me around the world that need these little small inspirations. And here you are facing a very serious illness and that you're you're leaving your footprint far beyond what your life might be and gosh I appreciate that so much what has cancer taught you because I feel like I've learned so much through you as an example and I I'm not living with a serious illness and you are and you're you're inspiring it just blows my mind gosh you know when you put it like that you know I I really want to meet the guy that you just described Right. Because I don't see myself that way. You know, I see myself as a regular dad who has some crap in his life. And, and I think we all have crap in our lives. And, and my crap happens to be cancer. And it's a serious, it's a serious amount of crap. I would like to think that I conduct myself the same way that I would without this diagnosis. I, I do have a little bit more of a sense of urgency than what I did when I was younger. Cancer has taught me to say no. I, I keep my to-do list short because whatever's on my to-do list needs to be really important. I, I don't say yes to to every interview. I don't say yes to every request for appearances. I, I don't even rake my own lawn. I, I have some some friends from church who have raked our, our yard now for the last three falls. They're getting ready to come in and do it again. And the reason is, is that they know how tiring it would be for me to do. It's really humbling to raise your hand and say, I am not capable of doing this, but I've, I've learned. Frankly, it's, it's, it's important for my family that I have adjusted to this new normal. And that's really difficult to do because I think I was a mover and a shaker before. You know, I ran my own business. I was pretty successful at it. We were doing really well. I was active in my community, I was active in my church, I was active in Emma's school life, and now I have enough energy to do about two things a day. And I, I still work full-time, so for five days a week, one of those two things is work. And then I might have enough energy to do one other activity, one other major activity in the day, and after that I'm done. When I hear somebody like yourself describe me I, I really think to myself, you know, I, I'm just a dad. And the most important thing I have to do every school day is to write a new note, right? So those 826 notes, they're still set, they're set aside. Um, they're actually in a box right behind me. And those notes, you know, I'll get to give to her for a graduation present. And in the meantime, she gets a new note every day that continues to evolve and, and, and learn and grow along with her. That's amazing. So you do have a book out called Napkin Notes, and it's a, a creating a daily connection with those you love. What are you hoping this book accomplishes? Something really tangible about a handwritten note. You get to hold on to it. It can pass from generation to generation. Life is short, right? So nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. Write the note today, right? So the, the book is a mix of, of serious topics and humorous 
topics. And there are some passages in there where I write about pretty big mistakes I've made in my life. But there's a, a trick in the book. And the trick are the blue pages. And those blue pages are, are life lessons for Emma. So when I, when I share something in there, especially when I'm sharing a mistake that I might have made, it's in the hope that she takes that and learns from me and doesn't make a similar mistake. I have like lesson number 34, put your phone down. Yeah. You know, it's just amazing. I think everyone really needs to read this book. And on the back cover, this book is a call to wake up and connect. Share your feelings, make that phone call, write that note. And I believe that we forget how fragile life is and how it could be taken away from us in an instant. And words and notes could really make a huge difference on how people grieve us when we're gone. Emma's a junior. Your goal is to see your daughter graduate. My big challenge is that I have a virtual wall of fog um, when I look at calendars. And that fog is about two years out. I genuinely feel every day that I wake up, that I probably have at least a two-year window in front of me. And the reason why I say that is that I know where I am medically in terms of cancer and my treatment regimen. And I know that right now it's working. For us, what that means is the cancer is not growing or spreading. There's no cure for what I have. I kind of feel like, well, this medicine's probably going to still work for at least another year. And if it stops working in about a year's time, I might have another year to find another treatment that could stop it from growing. What I can't see are grandchildren. And it's not because I don't think it's going to happen. It's just because I can't see that far. I have daily chemo. That's, that's how we keep the cancer from growing or spreading. I have all of the same side effects that you'd normally associate with chemo, although they've, they've gotten better as of late. But I can I can be honest, you know, I'm looking up on a calendar on my wall and I used to put red X's on days that I threw up. And there are quite a few days with more than one red X and quite a few red X's in a row. And I'll tell you, that's it's draining. How's Emma? I mean, it, she's a junior. She's understanding. She's a young lady. How is she handling your cancer? As a family, we don't even know where normal is anymore. We have stepped away from normal so many different times in the last five years that it's not even on our radar. And that's fine. We've learned to adjust. You know, Emma takes it really hard when she knows I'm getting sick. You know, sometimes I have to go to bed at 7.30 in the evening. And so I, I miss hanging out with her as she's doing homework. I don't make her lunch anymore. So my wife, Lisa, makes her lunch. And that's just because I can't get up and moving in enough time to make lunch in the morning. Outside of the fact that we know that there's not a, a cure, I think that I've already beaten cancer. We as a family have come together and said, we are not going to let this situation impact us any more than it has to impact us. We have to make conscious and purposeful decisions as a family. But you know what? We should have been doing that anyway. Right? We should have been making conscious and purposeful decisions as, as a family about anything, regardless of whether or not I had cancer. I'm just so grateful to know you. I really am. 
I think your life is a life lesson for all of us. Your book is a gift, I think, to the world. And I, I would highly encourage everyone to pick that up. But you also you can follow at 21daysofthankfulness.com. What are some last words that you would like to share? I had a friend, uh, Walter Burlington. He's kind of like an older brother to me at church. He was a member of the Knights of Columbus, as was I. I always joked that Walter was my biggest fan. Huge supporter of the Callahan family. Emma and I do uh, Facebook live events once a week in the evenings. I was missing a meeting at the Knights of Columbus because of that. And I heard that the person in charge of the meeting kind of chided Walter because Walter wasn't paying attention. And Walter looked up. He said, oh, well, I'm watching Garth and Emma. And he cut, he was holding his phone below the table. And Walter passed away a couple of weeks ago. I was beside myself. Uh, I, I didn't know what to do. And I didn't even know him nearly as well as most of the other members of, of, of our church. And, and I couldn't even imagine what they were going through. And last night, I was searching through a, a box of napkins. We have Emma's napkins, 826, but also in that same box, we've collected napkins that other people have sent to us. And so I was just searching through everything, trying to find a particular napkin. And I ran across a napkin that Walter had written to me. I just stared at it for, I don't know, a half an hour. Because again, there's this tangible proof that Walter was alive and that he cared about me enough to write me a note and sign his name to it. And you know what? Actually, if that's the, if that's the last thing I say, that's it. That's enough. That's the whole purpose behind what we do and us sharing our story. The story has nothing to do with cancer. Um, that's just kind of the catalyst. The story is, what have you done to help somebody? What have you done to impact their lives in a positive manner. And I choose to do it with a note on a napkin. But what have you done to say something encouraging and motivating to somebody in your life today? And that's it. That's why we're here. I will forever be indebted to you taking uh, your time and spending it with us today. Like I said, you've you've changed my life and you inspire me. And I believe me and my producer today, we're, we're going to go out and we're, we, we are going to do one thing that connects us with someone else and tell them how important they are in our lives. And, and I think at lunch, I'll even put it on a napkin in your honor. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with me, the world, lessons that tend to be simple but so overlooked on a daily basis you're amazing and i look forward to hopefully one day meeting you and emma and i'm thinking about you every day and, and thanks again for joining us it's truly my pleasure I, I i can't thank you enough for the invitation see you later my friend bye thanks for joining us today and remember you're the designer